Had a pretty fabulous weekend. Spent uh, Saturday floating around on a boat in the San Diego Bay. Uh, Joe and I's buddy Dave, who lives on a boat in one of the greatest marinas and bays in the on the planet. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we went out into the water, and my son and uh, his granddaughter swam around and uh, had fun, and it was just absolutely Your son fantastic. has a granddaughter? No, the owner of the boat's granddaughter, ah, Dave's granddaughter, and my son. Swam around and played, stuff like that. Oh, and that's just, great. And it was the most crowded he said he's ever seen it out there. Interesting, yeah. But I, kids aren't going to be able to go to school. <laughs> I, I was I was on the highways of America driving back from mountainy uh, vacation land back to Valley going to work land, and it was it was virtually I would say ninety percent standard summer vacation traffic. But kids aren't going to be able to go back to school. Absolutely not. And then we were out and about in the gas lamp district of San Diego, which, if you don't know, it's a big touristy restaurant, bar sort of area. And we went out to get a uh, a very expensive milkshake. And uh, we were walking around, you know, and weaving through the crowd because it was freaking crowded. But kids can't go to school. You can't right. have kids learn. No. Not according and, to the um, teachers' unions. So I'm going to read a little from the Wall Street Journal uh, editorial board uh, opinion piece today. Because the, uh, the doctors, remember that clip we played last week? MSNBC, they asked five doctors, would you send your kid to school? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The doctors would send their kid to school. The politicians won't, though. The doctors would be, the doctors would say, well, you got to send kids to school. That's among the most important things that happens in America, kids going to school and learning. But the politicians would say, no, no, no school. I'm so up. I've never been this upset about a political issue in my entire life. You could get me rallying and smashing things downtown somewhere over this issue. Lawlessness. Politicians versus Catholic education is the headline in the Wall Street Journal. California Governor Gavin Newsom on Friday forbid schools, both public and private, from reopening until the state, i.e., the teachers' union, declares it safe. Chalk it up as another sad example of politicians putting the interests of unions over kids. Large school districts, including Los Angeles, San Diego, and San Francisco, had already announced plans to do virtual instruction this fall. But Orange County and some smaller districts, many of which have experienced a surge of new students in recent months as families have fled cities for suburbs, were planning to bring back kids to classrooms. The school my son goes to, they had the plans in place. They had announced how they were doing it. Who's going to be wearing masks? How far apart the desks are? The hand washing? All the stuff that was going to happen doesn't matter that they put all this effort time and money into it and planning doesn't matter uh the the governor says not not doing it unless i say so so many religious schools including those in the archdiocese of los angeles said our goal is to strike a balance between preventing the spread of covid 19 and providing children with the education nutrition physical activity and mental health benefits provided through the reopening of our catholic schools Many parochial schools were struggling before the pandemic amid increased competition from charter schools that don't charge tuition and a decline in religious uh, vocations. Hundreds have closed over the past several years, and 90 have announced plans to do so in recent months amid declining collections from church parishioners. Most parents who send their kids to Catholic schools aren't wealthy, and many aren't even Catholic. They scrimp and save to provide their kids with a quality education that includes religious values, as well as the discipline and civility that are missing in public schools. Amen to that. There's a lot of people that aren't religious that send their kids to religious private schools because they still do it the way it was when they were in school, where they have some rules, for instance, right, or, or teach it 
teach things the way you were taught. Right. And Misbehavior, insubordination, preventing other people from learning, you're out. And they can't get that from the public school. While public schools, back to the Wall Street Journal, while public schools have a monopoly, Catholic schools have to compete for students. This, in part, explains why Catholic schools, such as those in L.A., were preparing to reopen campuses this fall, even as local public schools plan to keep kids at home. Teachers' unions claim schools can't afford to reopen safely without uh, without Congress giving them a whole bunch of money. But on average, tuition at Catholic schools runs between a grand and four grand less than what states spend per pupil to educate kids at public schools. Did you know that? It's actually, they're actually spending more money at the public schools than they are at the private schools. Mm -hmm. You can't make the argument, well, sure, they got plenty of money. The parents are writing a check. If Catholic schools could find a way to open safely, what excuse do public schools have for staying closed? Um, And then it goes on to say this is merely a situation where the teachers' unions didn't want everybody to find out that the private schools could do it better, that would be too damaging politically, and so they had to close down all the schools, public and private. Unions are a for-profit business, and their profit is having more members. And so the teachers' unions' only real concern is making sure big, bloated public schools uh, remain open. And they have as many people in the union as possible. Those union members are their profit. Unions are a for-profit business. Now, the individual teachers might have nothing but the best intentions in mind. They want to educate the kids. They love teaching the kids. It's a, a you know, a, it's a mission. It's a, it's a their life's purpose, and they love it, and I admire them for it. But man, these teachers unions could not be more cynical. And then, and then they, and they're they're smart at this. They they know. Come election time, they they managed to defeat whatever measure is trying to reform schools or what have you by saying, yeah, our concern is about the kids. It's about just about the kids for us. And it's just, it's a load of crap. Hey, compa- comparing this pandemic to uh, past ones and then assessing our reaction based on the actual numbers coming up in a moment or two. Um, the best home security system you can get is simply safe. And we're not just saying that. That was actually said by... Uh, U.S. News and World Report. They named Simply Safe the best overall home security of 2020, and you can afford it, and you can get it easily, and you install it yourself. And we've got a way for you to get it with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Yep, it has everything you want, including the doorbell camera, the the motion sensors, the rest of it, 24/7 professional monitoring, everything. But a fraction of the cost, no install fee, and no long contract. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's about 50 cents a day. You're not going to be locked into something you don't like. Just head to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong to get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee so there is no risk. It's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. And make sure they know uh, that we sent you by by putting in the Armstrong, okay? Yep, simply is S-I-M-P-L-I. Just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So one more thing on the schools closing down. I just I'm I'm worried on both ends. One, how comfortable a lot of society has gotten with does the mayor or governor or health director say I can open my business or not? Because they're they're the decision makers and I'll do whatever they say. I think we've gotten too comfortable with being ordered around, and then on the other end of it, they've gotten way too comfortable with you can be open, close back down, open up, close down. I'm in the Maestro up here dictating what happens because that's my job. I just I, I I I think we've gone too comfortably down that road. 
Yeah, speaking of I would like I would actually like more civil unrest about this. Not violence, smashing things that have nothing to do with it, but I'd like more marching in the street over this. Hey, you don't get to tell us this. You don't get to shut open me up, shut me down this this willy-nilly. Yeah. Yeah, well I'm I'm in favor of that too. And listen, it's not without your risk. Opening the schools and having the teachers in there and the rest of it. And and we have to be very smart about how we handle the risk. But one of the most interesting aspects of modern society to me, and there is a great book about this. I can't remember the title. Maybe it'll top, pop into my head. But Is it the one with the whale? It's No, it's not Moby Dick, okay. but uh, thank you. It's uh, the We have become so safe, number one. Number two, the number of people who believe in life after death, eternal life, heaven, etc., that number has declined significantly. Um, and, oh, you know what? Actually, Thomas Sowell in A Conflict of Visions talks about this. We have decided that, number one, the only redemption is here on Earth, so you got to have uh, have a good life and a long life. Better get a jet ski, then. And that since... Uh, you're you're going to want to have a sea-do if the best, the best of everything is going to get is here on Earth. And a hot girlfriend in a bikini. <laughs> Maybe you can rent one of those with a jet ski, but... Um, so that we have become obsessed with prolonging our lives as long as possible and have also become safety obsessed. And another part of that is just life is pretty comfortable and medical care has gotten so good and everything. You know, the odds are pretty decent. You'll have a pretty good long life. And so we fear death in a way that we didn't used to. Dave Grossman actually talked about this in his book on killing as well. You know, back in the day, uh, when when Grandpa passed away, he would do it at home. Uh, the body would be prepared. You'd you'd go in. You'd you'd you know tell him you love him as he was dying or after he died or whatever. The undertaker would come finally, and and then you know often the funeral would be at home or at church, and and the kids dealt with death. You would often slaughter your own farm animals. People dealt with death, but now you know, it's, it's interesting. Become... If you did both of those things now, if if Grandpa died in the living room on the couch, mm-hmm. and and you slaughtered a cow, right. Uh, I think you'd get your kids taken away from you, and uh, they would attend therapy for the rest of their lives yeah. about the horrific childhood and how they can't be a success in life because of those two things that happened. Right, and that's one of the points of the book on killing is that we've we've it's we treat death like the Victorians treated sex. You never talked about it. You never dealt with it directly, but it was weirdly fetishized and and. And and we're like that with death. So anyway, we need desperately to protect ourselves as the long and short in modern society. And uh, if you look at some of the uh, percentages of uh, the folks who died in various pandemics in the Spanish flu outbreak in 1918, it was about 0.65 percent. So a little more than half a percent of the population succumbed to it. Tokyo flu 1968 was about half a percent. Currently, we're at about point oh. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not right. It's point oh fifty two, and the COVID is now somewhere around point oh forty two. So it's way, 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 way less than like the Spanish flu in terms of the percentage of the population. So the threat is much, much less. But our response to it and our oh my god, we've got to protect ourselves is many multiples more aggressive, including pulling kids out of school for a year, maybe. Right. Exactly. And 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 this discussion has been had many times. But what bothers us is that the other negatives, the negatives of keeping kids out of school, keeping them at home, keeping them away from their friends, not letting them exercise, the rest of it, people are pretending like those negatives don't exist. And, and, and the learning part was a failure. Oh, my God. I didn't even bring the learning part into it. 
So you have a situation where we are doing everything we possibly can to avoid this disease, including doing terrible damage to the children. Uh, and I just, I don't know. And and everybody's gotten so impassioned now, and it's become about politics and Trump and, and whatever else that I don't feel like an intelligent and measured conversation is having. And then you've got governors like uh, Gavin Mussolini, who, because the teachers union has him on a choke chain and yanked good and hard, is saying not even private schools can say, look, we think we have this under control. We, we have, have the, small classes. We have small classes. We have the consent of all the parents. We have the consent of the teachers. Everybody's an adult, understands the situation. We're going to see how this goes. No, you've got to have the government forbid that. It's just, it's wrong. And it's not American. Hey, we got to play some of the stuff Trump said about Biden's fitness to be president. Yeah, you know funny. what? It, it's good. It, and it's it's hilarious. Funny. And it's coming up in moments. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Go to go to the community. Say, how do you like the idea of renaming Fort Bragg? And then what are we going to name it? You going to name it after the Reverend Al Sharpton? I agree. That's one possibility. Uh, Donald Trump uh, interviewed by Chris Wallace yesterday. Good headline in the Washington Examiner. This is why the idea for fact-checking... Uh, on the fly during the debates is bad. We'll get to that in a second. But I really like some of the stuff where Trump was talking about Biden's fitness to be president. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, Chris Wallace sets it up and says, you know, you're behind in the polls and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's just national polls are silly, especially this far out. But uh, Trump was somewhat critical of uh, Biden's abilities to pull off the office. Clip 35. Biden can't put two sentences together. They wheel him out, he goes up, he repeats, he, they ask him questions, he reads a teleprompter, and then he goes back into his basement. You tell me the American people want to have that in an age where we're in trouble with other nations that are looking to do numbers on us. I like they wheel him out. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I've seen him walking. <laughs> oh boy. Then he goes on in clip 36. I'm going to ask you a direct question about Joe Biden. Is Joe Biden senile? I don't want to say that. I say he's not competent to be president. To be president, you have to be sharp and tough and so many other things. He doesn't even come out of his basement. They think, oh, this is a great campaign. So he goes in. I'll then make a speech. It'll be a great speech. And some young guys start writing. Vice President Biden said this, 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 this. He didn't say it. Joe doesn't know he's alive, okay? He doesn't know he's alive. <laughs> Not even sentient. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's that's a claim. Uh, and All right, go ahead with 37. I don't think I'm going to lose at all. But if you did, how crushing would it be? And you know why I won't lose? Because the country, in the end, they're not going to have a man who who's shot. He's shot. He's mentally shot. Let him come out of his basement, go around. I'll make four or five speeches a day. I'll be interviewed by you. I'll be interviewed by the worst killers that hate my my guts. They hate my guts. There's nothing they can ask me that I won't give them a proper answer to. Some people will like it. Some people won't like I it. I agree with that. But look, you let, answer the let questions. Biden sit through an interview like this 
He'll be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, mommy, mommy, please take me home. Biden, Biden is yet to do a single challenging interview, which is absolutely the case. And I wouldn't either if I, if I were him. I would do exactly the same thing Biden is doing. <laughs> mommy, mommy. He'll be, on, He'll the be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, mommy, mommy, please take me home. <laughs> but so I read an interesting uh, piece on uh, Friday from uh, Rich Lowry with, uh, I think, the National Review talking about the way, and I, I brought this up last week, uh, uh, about how everything is broken in Biden's favor on this and against Trump in terms of the way the campaign is running. If this was a normal year, Biden would be doing seven stops a day in six different states. How well do you think he would do with that? He might pull off the first couple of two of the day. By the end of the day, he's going to be a rambling mess, and everybody on the uh, the other side of the aisle would be hanging on every misstep and when he when he says he's in the wrong state and the wrong town and all this different stuff and he's avoiding all that the grueling campaign trail that i've always wondered how does anybody do that at age 35 let alone 65 well he's damn near 80 and everybody thinks he's over the you know the edge mentally he he couldn't keep up but he might avoid the whole thing well, and nobody knows what the late summer and the early fall is going to look like as the campaign evolves into a little more serious uh, fashion. We'll see. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And now, parents on television just want one thing. I'm going to out myself as pro-school, pro-if-it-is-open, I will send her. I'm just trying to get people to take my children. Take my kids back. I was one of those surveys that they sent out, and I sent it. I said, take my kids. Take them, I said. Please take my children. <laughs> got to get our daughter out of the house. My gosh. She drives us well, crazy. Yes, please, please send my kids back. Please <laughs> send my kids back to school. You're having a day there, aren't you, in the Cameron household? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah, you heard that earlier? Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I should be back in school. Yeah, well, politicians no say scientists are wrong. Kids need to stay home. Pediatricians ought to shut up. Right. My, Politicians uh, and the unions will tell you what to do. I grabbed I grabbed that clip that we had last week of uh, MSNBC asking the five doctors what they would do, and kind they're of they're all the, pediatricians. It's worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, and the the surprise reaction of the anchor when they when they're done answering. It's about twenty seconds. You want to go ahead? Yep. Would you let your kids go back to school? I will. My kids are looking forward to it. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I can. <laughs> Without a hesitation. Without a hesitation, yes. I have no concerns about sending my child to school in the fall. I would let my kids go back to school. Dr. John Torres, NBC News. Well, they all said yes. Yeah, but those, but those are doctors, not politicians. Politicians are the smartest people in the world. They're the wisest, just, they're the people we should look to for the answers to everything, politicians. And we need the government to tell us what to do at every moment in modern America. We haven't told my son that was announced on Friday. He's not going back to school yet. Uh, we got some other family stress going. Thought I'd wait for a better time, but he will cry. There's no doubt about it. And he will be very depressed about it, as a lot of kids across the country will be. Depression, lack of learning, all kinds of things that are a problem with it. 
Not to mention the fact that doctors say it's a good idea. But anyway, didn't mean to get off on that. Um, uh, the presidential race is uh, damned interesting. There's no doubt about it. It, it. it is just unfolded in such a way that it absolutely hides some of Biden's weaknesses and plays to his strengths and does the opposite for Trump. I mean, it's just like if you're going to orchestrate it, you couldn't do it any better. In, in, in a normal year, we would be full on into presidential uh election season with biden traveling all day long exhausted nine speeches a day it would be i think it would be a train wreck he'll be on the ground crying for mommy he'll say mommy mommy, please take me home they might have actually redesigned the presidential presidential campaign knowing that he couldn't do that but the fact that he wasn't doing that would would get people's attention they'd be talking about it well he's managed to get and this they talked about this on media buzz yesterday with howard kurtz He's managed to have almost no exposure to live questions from the media. Mm-hmm. And he would absolutely have to be exposed to that during a normal presidential campaign. Or a but town anyway. hall or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so some people have argued for uh, live fact-checking during the debates. Because Trump <laughs> lies so much. Well, and the reason there's a problem with this is, you know, uh, there are different interpretations of what the facts are. Uh, the best example being from the debate between Mitt Romney and Obama a few years ago. They did live fact-checking and got it completely wrong, which really helped Barack Obama and damaged Mitt Romney. But the, the moderator at the time was completely wrong on that issue. But sometimes there are, there are, there are two ways to interpret it. For instance, uh, the Washington Examiner went with Chris Wallace's Why There Can't Be Fact-Checkers at the 2020 Trump-Biden Debates. Uh, Donald Trump at one point said that Joe Biden wants to defund the police. Chris Wallace said, no, he doesn't. That's nowhere in the platform. And Trump said, yes, it is. Bring it out here. And they got into it in reading and everything like that and uh, got into it. And and Biden, it turns out, has not said he wants to defund the police. However, he has said that we agree in redirecting some of the funding from police departments to other departments like mental health and that sort of thing. So he wants to take funding away from police departments and send it to other agencies. But he's, he hasn't specifically said he's for defunding the police. Now, how do you fact-check that particular position? What, what a great example. Not, well, yeah. And, and I would also point out, and I wish the president had, there were three or four aspects of that, whatever it was, the 100-point plan that he signed with Bernie that said, and we're going to end this aspect of policing, and then we're going to shut down the immigrations and customs enforcement, and we're going to blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he didn't say defund the police precisely, but he talked about all the pullback in policing he was in favor of. Sure, and so, he said, all right. And he said, quote, so I support redirecting some police funding to address mental health or to change the prison system. Which is what a large percentage of Americans mean when they say defund the police. Absolutely. So fact check that one for me. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's frustrating. Well, Trump didn't do himself any favors. He could have been better prepared and done a better job of laying out that argument. There's no doubt about it. Yep, yep. I was pretty disappointed in some of his uh, self-defense, honestly. But uh, Chris Wallace is clearly a liberal. Well, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, um, whoever's president at the time always loses the first debate because they're so used to not really being challenged as president. And it's always a shock to them. Oh, yeah, that's the way this works. People ask follow-up questions and really nail me down on that. It happens to every president that I've seen in my adult lifetime. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember the first uh, 
Obama-Romney debate. Obama was just disdainful of Bush, being asked any questions. I remember Bush doing exactly the same thing, because they've gone four years without that sort of pushback, and they seem to be angry that they're being challenged, and I think Trump's in that position now. Yeah, there's a fair amount of, uh, I say the sky is orange. Yes, sir, Mr. President, sir. Orange sky, clearly. <laughs> Ah, uh, let's see. Well, power, uh, hmm, maybe not corrupts, but power, you get used to it. Well, we'll have to see. Although uh, Biden and company uh, have floated a couple of trial balloons about not debating at all, using various stories like, well, Trump lies so much that it wouldn't do, he'd, uh, Joe would spend all this time refuting Trump's lies. Well, you tell me, would you do it or not? I think it'd be, I think you'd get away with it. I think you could pull it off. I think as Joe Biden, because like Sean always says, everybody's needle is stuck. I, I think Biden's in a better position to say because of the way, and I don't believe this to be true, but I think Biden makes the excuse you just made, and that's why I won't debate Trump. He doesn't. I don't think that hurts him at all with the people that are already going to vote for him. Right. And remember, it's not about persuadables. It's about turnout. And all he could do is damage himself by getting on the debate stage and having some senior moment or a series of senior moments. I think he'd be perfectly safe to say I'm not debating. I can barely make these words come out of my mouth because I'm so excited about the absolute cluster blank on a train that's in a train wreck (laughs) that I think the debates are going to be. I'm so excited about that. I can't even tell you. I I think you're right. I think he can cock some excuse, any excuse, and then it's just about turnout. He just doesn't debate. That'd be a bold move, but I, I think I would do it if I was Biden. It, it would be an incredible act of courage in cowardice. <laughs> Bingo. <What>? He's, got, <laughs> he's got some concern that he'd be, what, on the ground crying for mommy or whatever that He'll be is. on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, mommy, mommy, please take me home. It, it, it will be an incredibly brave act of cowardice to not oh, yeah. debate. It would take a lot of guts. To have that to little be courage. such a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of chicken, perhaps you're going to get a nice chicken entree from your Trader Joe's this afternoon for dinner. Trader Joe's has been browbeaten by the uh, social justice warriors into removing "quote unquote" racist packaging of their various foods. <laughs> What's a racist chicken? <laughs> Oh, boy. The uh, If it were not so frustrating that these lunatics are being listened to, this would be hilarious. The Trader Joe's story in moments. Armstrong and Getty. Show. A new study about competitive eating actually is relevant to your life, even if you're not into competitive eating. And I'm, uh, well, got that coming up in a minute. Sometimes I eat like I am in a contest. Yeah, well, I do I'm that trying all the time. not to. I'm, I'm sweating and I'm, I'm like eating super fast, like there's a timer on me or a gun to my head or something. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, bad habit. So Trader Joe's beloved American grocery store <clears throat> is being asked to remove quote racist packaging from its ethnic food products if following any, similar moves. If any store in America doesn't have racist packaging, it would be Trader Joe's. Oh, oh clearly. Absolutely. I mean if you if you ever go to Trader Joe's, the kind of people that 
They'll run the place that work there and shop there. You'd never have racist packaging last a day in that store to start with. So I, I can't wait to hear what this is. Well, you know what? I am pleasantly surprised and pleased to uh, pleasantly pleased uh, to report to you that even the idiotic and lefty USA Today use, uses quotes around racist packaging. Good. Which is a breakthrough because the trend in the media now is that if anybody, no matter how crazy, calls something racist, the news anchor just declares it's racist. Sure. The racist comments by the president, whatever, the racist uh, uh, senator. Well, um, that's the whole, it's in the behind eye the beholder. Uh, the, the, if a person feels offended, it was offensive. If somebody felt it was racist, it is racist. Which is just ludicrous. Um, but I salute them in using uh, quotes, and you decide whether this is racist. The Change.org petition, time to take that down, uh, was started two weeks ago and had, Jack, more than 840 signatures as of Saturday afternoon. Oh, my goodness. Two weeks, they got 840 people to sign this. And Trader Joe's has got a... Straighten up and fly right because of that? Are you kidding me? Anyway, here's uh, let's get to how stupid this is. If you're familiar with this, uh, the, the joke at Trader Joe's is that there's a Trader Joe in each of your uh, regions of the world. Trader Jose for Mexican foods. Trader Ming for Chinese foods. Arabian Joe. Trader Giotto for Italian foods. Shouldn't that be Giuseppe? And uh, Trader Josan for Japanese cuisine. But some simpleton adolescent jackass decided that that's racist. So Trader Joseph said, oh, we're sorry. We, uh, we didn't mean to offend anybody. Uh, we, uh, we'll change it. Uh. Where's their actual statement? We've been in the process of uh, updating order labels and replacing any variations with the name Trader Joe's. Um. Oh, according to the, this is great, according to the Change.org petition, the Trader Joe's branding is racist because it exoticizes other cultures. It presents Joe as the default normal and the other characters falling outside of it, the petition says. What? So, I thought that the, the Trader Joe's crowd, at least in my town, is the kind of people that that more than anybody else are excited about different cultures and their food. Definition of exotic. Originating in or characteristic of a distant foreign country. They are making something a foreign country that is a foreign country. Right. How dare they? How absolutely dare you? Said a spokeswoman for Trader Joe's, quote, while we, oh, that she mentions that we've used the humorous uh, thing. Um, while this approach to product naming may have been rooted in a lighthearted attempt at inclusiveness, we recognize that it may now have the opposite effect, one that is contrary to the welcoming, rewarding customer experience you strive to create every day. Who is it, bothered by this? Anybody other than highly educated white women? No, Nobody. Nobody conceivably. Again, I draw your attention to 840 people online. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you have a you, if you post a particularly cute dog pic online, you'll get ten thousand views. 
So, Mike, if you had just said that without the reaction from Trader Joe's, I'd have said, well, why are we talking about this? Who right. cares what 800? But so Trader Joe's is a nationwide company actually is reacting to 800 people online, which is probably five people voting several times. Right. Exactly. Knuckled under. They, they said, look, time it's they, they, no they got humanities uh, degrees and they don't have jobs. So they got plenty of time to vote over and over and right. over again. Exactly. And as Trader Joe said, look, it's a lighthearted attempt at inclusiveness. Not the opposite. But we better change. That's weird. So you couldn't even defend yourself, you babies. I tell you what, the radicals be are going to win the day. Crying, be on the ground crying like a baby for your mama is what you'll be doing. He'll yeah. be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, mommy, mommy, please take me home. Yeah, I'm going to Trader Jim's or Trader Ed's. I'm going to a different trader now. Cowards. How much time have I got, Michael? Have I got time for this? I don't want to give it short oh, shrift. Oh, plenty of time. Oh, three minutes to really lay it out here. So this is uh, this is actually done by scientists. This is not a uh, uh, silly as it sounds. Scientists have calculated how many hot dogs a person can eat at once. It's based on the Nathan's hot dog eating contest for Fourth of July. Joy Chestnut ate seventy five hot dogs, new world record in ten minutes. Four, three, two, one. Put down your hot dogs. On. Some things change. Some remain the same. A world record. 75. 75. <laughs> so, so they figured out, they believe that 83 is the absolute maximum a human being could eat in 10 minutes hot dog wise. This sounds like drunk medical students in the cadaver lab late at night. <laughs> oh, geez. Stuffing hot dogs in there? Oh, boy. Um, uh, and this is that, you know, PhDs looking at this, and I'll skip some of the, the silliness to get to the stuff that I thought was actually interesting. The chief limiting factor on how much uh, a person or animal can eat is once the stomach's capacity for stretching, uh, to accommodate the volume of food reaches its limit. Um, in 2007, they did a study to ex- examine the digestive tracts of two men, one a competitive eater and the other a regular volunteer. When they took part in a simulated hot dog eating contest in a lab, the control subject stopped after seven hot dogs, declaring Baby. that he that he would be sick if he ate another bite. That'd be that's about my limit because I tried it one time. Oh, seven this, is a lot of dogs. Oh yeah, th- th- that's about how many a normal piece and kit person can eat. He'll be um, on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, yeah, "Mommy, mommy, right. please yeah. take me home." The speed eater scarfed down thirty six dogs. The most striking difference between the two men was their stomach and the capacity for stretching. Some people just naturally have a stomach that has a capacity for stretching, and they have found, so maybe you're one of those people, and they have found some people, for some reason, hold their food in their stomach before moving it down into the intestines. So some people have a stretchy stomach, the food stays in the stomach and doesn't move the the intestines, and I guess that gives you an advantage. I would think moving it out into the old intestinal tract would give you the advantage. But the the thing that... um, the thing that struck that struck me the most is uh, competitive eaters continue to get better, never worse at this over time, they have found. And this implies that you do have the ability by overeating to stretch your stomach, and it does not. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about and, one more hot dog? And it does not contract back to its original size. So you have a big flaccid bag for a stomach. Hey, easy now. I've been doing crunches. I'm working on it. It's like when people take out those uh, those ear gauges, and then they just got the, oh, the yeah. floppy oh, ears. Right. Oh, that's yeah. the worst look in the world. Well. Leave the gauges in. That floppy earlobe thing is hard to look at. Um, 
But it would seem that if you overeat regularly, you can stretch your stomach. I've heard people thrown this around before, but it's scientifically true. You can stretch your stomach, and it loses its ability to come back to normal size. So, therefore, you just have to eat a lot more to ever have a full-feeling stomach. Wow. Wow. That's not good. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I wonder if I haven't already done that. Stretched out my stomach. I got a big flaccid bag, it says there. And and it takes a lot of food to fill her up. Well, as a guy who's mauled a pizza like a grizzly bear on more than one occasion, yeah, something tells me mine is not exactly uh, the trim stomach of the 22-year-old co-ed. They say say humans can't pass 83 hot dogs. I will simply say they once said the same thing about the four-minute mile and the two-hour marathon. Humans can do it! Or landing on the moon, exactly. apropos of the uh, anniversary. So I guess they're saying your stomach can only stretch so far, and then they think it would rip open. Um, but what is happening with Joey Chestnut and others is they are actually literally stretching their stomach, and it's it's just getting bigger and bigger and staying big. Well, I don't understand how you could make a definitive statement that, no, beyond 82, it can't be done. I mean, you'll have some guy who has some genetic tendency that allows him to stretch his stomach uh, indefinitely. And uh, in the same way, 150. In the way that some, uh, the way that some people's livers can tolerate way, way more drinking than others. Right, or some guys who are five foot seven can leap up and stuff a basketball. Yeah, you know, something I can only dream of. All right, much more to come. Hang around if you can. Armstrong and Getty.